This week, National Tight End Day. Yeah, baby, come on. Niners host the Colts from Indianapolis. It's a beatdown. They're going to take home another brand. It's going to be ugly. But anyway, we welcome them to come in. DeForest Buckner is going to be in the house. Look for your Niners to get back on a winning track and take care of it. Hidden Podcast, we are back. Week seven, we got George on, we got M on, we got me on. And this week, staying with our theme, we've got Matt Hens. He is a deputy fire chief with the Indianapolis Fire Department, and he is Emma's cousin okay. and George's cousin. So my, is he a nephew to me? Yes. Yep. Anyway, on mom's side of the family. So he is in, we're talking, following our first responder theme. So really interesting stuff with him. And then we also have Uncle Pat, uh, one of my brother-in-laws and Pat or Jennifer, geez, Emma and George's uncle. So anyway, Pat is a, uh, started as a third grade teacher. He's currently superintendent of schools in Burlington. But uh, 21 years in the Iowa National Guard, a couple tours, and a full like 12 or 13 months in Afghanistan. He tells some of those stories. So honoring our military service, we're very grateful for those stories and very excited about that. Don't miss the fashion preview. So some pretty cool stuff with that. We're excited to have you guys around. Stay tuned. It's going to be terrific. Woo! 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 Hey! Four, three, two, one. All right, in both podcast fans, welcome to to week seven um, of the 49ers season. We are super excited to be welcoming um, a couple family members, but also uh, this week the Niners are hosting the two and four Indianapolis Colts. And so big shout out to the beautiful Buckner family, Ashlyn DeForest and their little nugget um, coming in. We can't wait to see them. Um, so this week we are sitting down with... Uncle Pat Cohen. Um, Pat is the superintendent of schools in Burlington, Iowa. He also served 21 years with the Iowa National Guard member um, and two tours of duty in his experience. And we also have with us um, our fabulous cousin, Matt Hens, who was in his 26th year with the Indianapolis Fire Department. So welcome, fellas, to the show. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Also, just want to give a little shout out. Um, fabulous. We, I mean, the month of October is great for the Craig Kittle family because um, their two little angels were born. Um, George's birthday, my birthday, and yeah. it is National Tight End Day coming it's up. It's National Tight Ends Day, everybody. Make sure you mark your calendars. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Sunday. Let's ride. Let's ride. Okay, Uncle Pat, you can, you can unmute yourself now. Um, all right, Pops, why don't you do Pats? No, George is doing Pat. Okay. I'm doing Pat? Yeah, Nice. Uncle Fat, we got to let it go right. Uncle Fat. Whoo, baby. I've known him uh, most of my life. Uh, let's see. But I have to read his bio because they typed it. It's very long because you've done a lot of cool stuff, I guess. Well, um, Uncle Fat is a retired colonel of the U.S. Army, Iowa National Guard, having served 21 years, including two tur- tours, one in Afghanistan, 2005 to 06. And before that, he was stationed in Germany in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom in 1991. He just recently announced his resignation from his current position as superintendent of schools in Burlington, Iowa. Whoo, let's go, Greyhounds. You know you're That's right. That's right. Hey, he graduated from Iowa Wesleyan College with a bullshit in elementary <laughs> education. Oh, sorry, the BS, sorry. He also holds a master's of science degree and a specialist degree from Drake University in educational leadership. Wow. Wow. That's impressive. He yeah. taught and coached for 10 years in Mount Pleasant, Iowa. He also served as a middle school principal, head principal of an alternative high school, and an elementary principal, and a superintendent of schools in Winfield, Iowa. Most importantly, though, Pat is married to my mom's sister, Jenna. They have four wonderful children, and Pat likes to wrestle Bruce when he gets drunk. 
<laughs> we'll that, talk more about that later. That is the truth. True story. That is the truth. Okay. Then we also have on Matthew the I need a nickname for you. But anyway, Matthew the Hens. Okay, so Matt is the Deputy Chief for Planning with the Indianapolis Fire Department, oversees the Community Risk Reduction Bureau, which is massive. It like covers two-thirds of the city. I don't know, but it's massive. So listen to this. The Bureau is responsible for fire investigations, 911 calls, fire and life safety, public education, inspections, planning, performance and compliance, and emergency management liaison. Holy cow. Matt's been with IFD for 26 years, starting back in 95 as a firefighter. And then before getting to the planning chief, he served as firefighter, engineer, company officer, and executive officer, doing it all. He has an associate degree in fire science, bachelor's degree in management, and also has advanced training in leadership development and is currently working to complete his Six Sigma Black Belt. I don't know if that's a cooking show or if it's some kind of Taekwondo, but whatever. It sounds pretty impressive. I like it. Uh, Matt is also George and Emma's cousin through yes. George's mom, sister, Anne. So anyway, we're super excited to do this family show. He's married to Rena. Raina, I'm sorry. Yep. Raina. Yep. Raina. And they have two kids. And so we want to welcome both you guys to the show. Thank you so much for uh, taking time because you're both very big, uppity, up, powerful dudes. <laughs> and taking time to be on the Hidden Bros podcast is pretty cool. So thank you. You're welcome. We got them fooled, Pat. Yes, we do. That's it. All right, guys. So let's take a little uh, trip to the past. So growing up, Pat, you grew outside of Mount Pleasant, Iowa. And Matt, you grew up in Indianapolis. So what were, your, what were some of your favorite things about growing up in Indiana and Iowa? Well, I'll go. Um, for me, the best thing about growing up in Iowa is I met your gorgeously hot Aunt Jenna. <laughs> there is no answer other than that. I landed one of them Crager women. <laughs> you lucky dog. No doubt. All right. All right, Matt, what do you got? Yeah, well, what, nothing like that. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, you say, growing up here in Indiana, just, you know, again, it's not the beaches, not the mountains and everything, but the four seasons being around here, pretty nice. Not too long, not too short. Um Again, kind of growing up here, I was always looking forward to while we weren't back there in Iowa with everybody. Uh, those were like our big vacation, holiday, fun trips. You know, it was uh, those those were really the big special moments throughout the year. You waited till the next trip to Iowa. Why don't Why don't we take a little George? How would you explain Camp Crager? <laughs> Camp Crager. Ooh. Well, I mean, growing up, let's see. It started off as um, you know just a big reunion. I don't know. I think we've talked about it multiple times. Um, the Crager. Uh, family has there's 10 daughters wow just incredible so many of them they've all just branched into all these different trees and all these different branches and sticks of all these different family members so many kids grandkids cousins everywhere and we'd always come together um what was it no late october early november halloweenish yeah late october yeah halloween and uh we would bring everyone together and just have a big old family reunion with all of us just in the same, we'd have a massive cabin that could sleep like 80 to a hundred people. Everyone got their, every family got their own room. Super fun. And we'd have a wiffle ball tournament. Ooh, swinging. Have a lot of fun out there. Good times out in the woods. Uh, overall, I'd, say just this is, I'd say Camp Crager is really where we, where you developed your competitive edge. Yeah. I got beaten down a, a pulp a lot. I was one of the youngest cousins. <laughs> 
all the cousins that I hung out with were at least one to four years older than me, including you know, my cousin Sam who used to beat the crap out of me. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Uh, awesome. But yeah, that was uh, growing up in the Craigers. I was definitely one of the small weak links and I had to you know, try to become not a weak link, which I think I did well of. Absolutely. We overcame. And now there are um, 130 Craigers. Sheesh. 130. Cool. Yeah. From Bob and Lou Jean. Mm-hmm. Firing it out. So, okay. So, Pat, you have siblings, brothers, and Matt, you as well got a crew. So, wait, tell us just how many you got, and who's the who's the toughest of that group of siblings in your families? Pat, I'll, I'll jump in there on this one here. Um, I have an older brother and two sisters, one older, one younger. Um, I'd have to say, since my our older sister was the oldest, uh, she was probably the toughest because uh, you know she was the biggest one in charge. And again, thanks, Jane, down the road. Um, but speaking of siblings, actually. Uh, uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, you know, being adopted in the family, found my birth family. So now I actually extended my siblings uh, to another brother and about three more sisters. Oh, wow. wow. And, uh, ironically, one that graduated from high school with me. <laughs> Is that right? Must be known. Well, that's great. Congratulations on that. That's big. Yeah. That's very cool. All right, Pat, what about you? Who's the toughest brother? Well, I would, uh, again, uh, Joe, Andy, <laughs> Stephen, Jewel, five siblings. Uh, beyond a question, Joe was the toughest sibling. He's a, well, um, as a young kid, uh, he would hit you so hard that you didn't know what was going on. We had the little plastic football helmets from Sears and Roebuck, and that was a license for Joe to kick the crap out of us out in the yard, being older. But uh, beyond a doubt, the toughest of all was my mom. Goldie would say, son, I'm going to rip your arm off and beat you with the bloody stump. That's how tough she was. And uh, there was never a doubt in my mind that my. <laughs> we believed her. <laughs> oh. Bless you. We lost Pat again. Mm-hmm. He's on that Iowa connection. It's, it's an Iowa connection. So, okay. Wait, Matt, you did you not you graduated with your your brother? Did you not know he was your brother until last year? No, not my brother. I actually have well, you know Rick, of course, my brother, yeah. and then uh Katie and Shelly. Yes. Shelly being the oldest. But a couple of years ago I found uh some birth family. Yeah. My brother was older. He's actually much older than me, but there was the youngest sister, half sister, who was two years behind me at the same high school. And did you, you didn't know that at the time, though? No. Do you remember her in high school? Barely, because I was just, I was a senior at the time. She was transferring as a sophomore. And, uh, um, yeah, we kind of found out just a couple of years ago and trying to put all the pieces together. So as far as, like, your own family branches, um, what is one of the best things about being in family with Lucky Krager um, as a matriarch and having nine sister-in-laws, nine aunts, and then a whole host of family? Got you there. Yep, I'm here. Go ahead. I'll let you lead on that. All right, thanks. Uh, I would have to say the best thing about being involved and connected to the Craiger family is just the 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 pure love and acceptance uh, that they that they display. Uh, they'll welcome anybody into your home, into their home, and uh, they're open, accepting. 
Um, you know, I go back to a story. A guy uh, ran out of gas one day outside the farm. I mean, Lou Jean said, hey, here's the keys to my husband's truck. Just take his truck and go get some gas. So Bub comes in from the fields being a farmer, and he goes, hey, where's my truck? Gene goes, I gave it to somebody. Who? I don't know. Some random guy. Let him take your truck. <laughs> That'd be Lugene. All right, Matt, you better roll. Yeah, I'd have to say uh, very similar to what Uncle Pat just said. I mean, that the, the patience, you know, um, you know, having kids of my own and and knowing that's not an easy task. Um, you know, every every so often you kind of think back to you know, wow, it's tough with one child, two child, you know, two children or whatever, and and you go back and just you know, we all grew up, you know, different phases here, but just the the compassion and, and love she had for everybody and it just didn't waver. So, you know, I think that's uh, the big takeaway for me is if, if, if um, you know, no matter how hard we have it, you just think back to, to what was going on. If they could do it, you know, that was a good example for us. So I'd have to agree. And Pat, I think my mom might've followed uh, um, kind of uh, uh, Lucky's uh, pathway because one day uh, mom gave dad's uh, vehicle to the neighbors because they didn't have one. And we had two. So, <laughs> Georgie, what, what do you got? What What do you think about grandma? Um, one of my favorite things about grandma Lugene is this: when you, whenever you're on the farm where they all grew up, the days last forever. I just remember being there as a kid and the days yeah. don't end. Like you'll wake up at whatever, 6 a.m., 7 a.m. Yeah. And it feels like it's 7 to 10 a.m. takes the whole day. And then the afternoon is a whole nother. It's like three days per day. You just do so much out there. Time stands still. Sometimes that's a, like most of the time it's a great thing. Sometimes you're like, wow, is it, how's it only one o'clock? Like, <laughs> what are we doing here? But um, no, that was one of my favorite things growing up as a kid. We just have all the cousins out there. We'd play wiffle ball for what felt like three days in a row yeah. and it'd just be a blast. So that was one of my favorite things growing up. Good times on the farm. Good times on the farm. Okay. So Pat and Bruce as being kind of um, the wiser, older gentleman of the mm. bunch. Um, farts. The wise old farts. What was it like for you uh, when the three of us started coming along or when the young cousins started coming out? Well, for me, it was a, it was awesome. Um, our kids had a, a network of, of friends that they would uh, be together and uh, it was always safe. You know, if, uh, if I dropped the kids off with an, with an aunt or an uncle, I knew they were good. Um, I would take kids into for extended periods of time. We were good. It was just a one large family network. And again, it was, uh, there was never a question of the, the kid being uh, raised the right way, being cared for and being loved and being uh, nurtured. Uh, you know, just never to which one of the Craiger uh, aunts or uncles had our kids. Um, I remember Jen and I uh, going to Ireland and we just farmed the kids out to different sisters <laughs> we're gone for about a week and a half came back everything's good <laughs> and even if it wasn't they told us it was yeah no sense of that uh you know the one thing i really appreciate about it was the um because the time span with the sisters age groups and even with bub and Lugene's friends when when i first started dating your mom um it, it was like the the circle of life was all presented you know what i mean so there were you know, like Ann and Larry, right? They had the whole spectrum. And so you could kind of see, you know, 
younger kids who are already getting married and or, you know, the different levels and all that. And then we had it all the way down to little baby infants. And then, you know, we eventually took that place in there. Right. And you, But if you're kind of paying attention, you can kind of see all the different stages and almost, you know, like, you know, every three or four year bundle was kind of handled. You know, there was a junior high stage, elementary stage, high school stage, college stage. And so like the more I got around that, especially around the holidays, you, you could kind of look around and see like, ah, that's what that's going to be like. A little, you know, what I mean, some of the things they were dealing with and there was so much kind of education going on if you were just had your eyes open and kind of paying attention. And so that I thought that part was really cool because it was just such a huge spectrum of things and kind of gave you a sense about what was coming a little bit. So everybody was unique in that way. So, okay. Wait, I want to add something. And I think, um, in just our family, I feel like there's such an appreciation for the land and like being like kind of just embracing this wild side. And even if that was like, I mean, all of our reunions were just outside in the field and anytime that we could be outside or just run around and be outside or like be on the farm or kind of like get into gardening or help grandma or do anything. Like it was just so much about being outside. And I think because of that, like it's given us all such an appreciation for like big open spaces and like coming home. Um, and for that beautiful black Iowa dirt, right? <laughs> Gumbo. That's what they call it. Stucks together. Okay. All right. Good. Very nicely done. All right, Matthew, let's turn to you for just a couple of minutes. All right. All right. So, uh, we read your bio and I'd invite you if you thought there's anything we missed in there to go ahead and fill it in. But I guess what I wanted to start with. So 26 years ago, you decided it, enlist do they call it enlistment is that the deal or i mean you apply for a job and, uh you become a recruit first yeah you, yeah candidate and then a recruit if you get okay. accepted yeah so something drew you to the fire department so like you know why'd you end up joining up and then apparently it's worked out pretty good and so you spent 26 years doing it kind of a lot of different things so why'd you join and why have you been around for so long yeah probably say that uh Coming out of high school, you know, I actually, blew, you know, I wanted to continue playing sports and didn't grow uh, too tall, too big. So that got cut short a little bit and didn't want to go to a smaller college and play and and uh, decided to stay home. So I stayed in a community college close to home, you know, one without a sports team and all that and and uh, still enjoyed, you know, working out, you know, being part of a team, being part of an organization, et cetera. But uh, it was one day when I was working out. Um, came across a firefighter and was kind of talking to him. My new college was, it was okay for me. You know, I was, I was doing all right as a student, but that passion wasn't there. And then when I kind of learned a little bit about the fire department, I found that, you know, almost that, that um, something bigger than you challenge, that team member challenge um, or, or, um, you know, kind of felt that, you know, filled that, that desire or that passion. Uh, you know, part of it was, it was, it was almost two-sided you had to challenge yourself. You know, when I went through, there was roughly, these are rough numbers, 2,500, uh, you know, 3,000 individuals and they're looking to hire 30, you know, so there's a competitive edge even to get in, in the door. Um, and being able to see that, being able to challenge yourself kind of filled that void, allowed me to, you know, um, uh, not, and I don't want to say just sit in college. I enjoyed college, but I wanted something different that, you know, change every day that, you know, you didn't have an office. The world was your office. Your community was your office. Uh, and that's kind of what led me to that. And then also the point, you know, like I said, the challenge internally was also external. You know, it was about giving of yourself. And uh, I know that kind of sounds cliche or, you know, just say hey, I want to help others. But you're put in a situation that somebody or, you know, needs help or there's you got to mitigate a problem. And it's, you know, it's 
you're challenged with solve the problem. You're not going home, solve the problem, you know, and you become, you know, it becomes bigger than yourself. And that's what really guided me into it. And it, uh, I described it as a passion, you know, I'm sure everybody, I know everybody here. So I know there's been different passions into your life. So I think, you know what I'm, I'm referring to. And, and when you get in there, it's kind of a, it's a calling. So you, you don't really tend to leave. Um, you know, for an example, you know, our, being vetted for us is 20 years. I think Pat in the military is 20. You're full, right? Yeah. For us, 20 years is actually, you know, when you're finally vetted and then you, you kind of move on from there. So it's a, it's a commitment. Yeah. So that's it. That's, that's what led me. Hey Matt, I got a question for you. Um, Sorry. Kind of random, but when you like, have you ever watched like firefighter TV shows? How, how incorrect are they? Yeah. <laughs> Are they brutal? Enough that my family won't watch it to me because they're tired of me saying that's not right. That's not true. They wouldn't do that. <laughs> they wouldn't call it. Yeah. So they, they won't even watch it around me. <laughs> I love it. I've always wondered like, how, like, because it's, I mean, the whole thing's just drama and, you know, there's some of the craziest things. It is. You got to appreciate it for what it is. But, you know, as we said, if you really, you know, saw it from our eyes, you'd have a dark screen because you wouldn't be able to see. Right. So doesn't make for good TV. <laughs> no, it doesn't. All right. Well, cool. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I have a very vivid memory of visiting you in Indianapolis one yes. time and climbing up the ladder. Yeah. And from that moment on, the only thing I wanted to be was a firefighter. I remember. Didn't play Absolutely. out. Didn't play out, but um, would, on you. Would, would love to climb the ladder again if that's an opportunity. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, okay. I'm so really then, um, so you stuck around the calling, the passion, all those things are really good. Maybe can you share with us just a little bit of glimpses about some of the challenges that you faced, you know, over the years, you know, within the fire department, because um, it's, you know, Indianapolis is a big city. There's a lot going on. Yeah. And so just kind of like, what, what are some of the things in either you personal to you and or, you know, just what the grind that, you know, firefighters, mm -hmm. you know, they're there going to responding or whatever like that. What, what are some of the challenges that folks face? Yeah, I would say uh, some of the bigger challenges. Um, probably the work-life balance is one. It's, you know, when we're on, when we're in suppression, so you have to think along the lines of suppression is what you would think of everyday firefighters, meaning running up, up and down the street in the fire trucks versus the admin side, which is a true eight to five, but you're always on call, right? So it's, uh, it's tough because no matter what, the way we worked, it was one day on, 24 hours on and 48 hours off. So no matter what happens in those 24 hours, if you're on, you're on. If it's a wedding, a birthday. Now, if you have vacation or trade time, that, you know, yes, there's exceptions, but, you know, you miss a lot of firsts or you miss a lot of key moments in life. Um, you know, so there's a challenge there. And, and I look from the personal side first, right? Um, from the, you know, from the, from another lens, it's, it's when you get called, you're dealing with, um, uh, sometimes you're dealing with other people's worst day. Right. So, you know, we think about fires, but, you know, there's uh, what the fire department does. We're involved in um, um, not only fires, but EMS. So you think along medics. So you think anything medical We're in the line of special operations. So dive ropes, hazardous material, confined space, um, you know, high angle ropes, et cetera. So there's a lot of other elements that go into what we do to serve the community and, uh, you know, having to be able to do your job, but then the next morning when you get off, it's basically, hey, everybody expects you to, 
you know, basically go back home and, and function the next day. So there's many a times, you know, firefighters are up three, four in the morning, you know, maybe on a working fire or something like that. And, you know, by eight o'clock, I'm, you know, one of the chaperones at the kids, um, you know, school lunch or, or the, you know, trip to the zoo, you know, you got to separate that. You can't bring that home. So I'd say that's the, those, those are the challenges. You know, those are some of the, I would say more of the serious challenges. The other ones are just the, um, you know, the internal push. Um, think it through again, you know, even George uh, right there with, you know, football, just that constant grind moving forward. You know, um, you don't get any younger <laughs> and the calls don't change. So, you know, that that push and just uh, keeping yourself ready um, is, is can be a challenge. So. Matt, could you like, so, cause I have no idea. So when you like first applied 26, like when you became a recruiter 26 years ago, like what was the, sorry, try not to do a pun here, but what was like the ladder that you climbed? Like what was like the positions that uh, like you went through to get to where you are today? Oh, okay. So like rank structure and everything. Yeah, like how does that work? Uh, yeah, okay. So yeah, when you come on, of course you, you go through academy, you recruit 26 years or 26 weeks. Then you get out to the companies, you become what's called a substitute firefighter, meaning you don't have a regular spot. You're filling in wherever needed, but you're on a regular shift. Um, once you go regular, you're in as what's called a firefighter rank, private rank. From there, there are multiple things you do. You can stay at the rank, you know, your whole career. Uh, you might go in to do a job, which might be an engineer driving. But the next actual rank that you would test against your peers for would be a lieutenant. So you go private, lieutenant, captain chief within there there's a few other appointed ranks like um division chief deputy chief assistant and then of course the chief of fire so so yeah so that's the the staggering ladders but again no matter what rank you're at there's so many other things you can get involved in whether it's arson investigator engineer you know uh, tech rescue etc so how old how old were you when you first got became a recruit uh, 24. So at 21, I started applying. We were kind of in a hiring freeze. And when they opened up pretty much back when I was 24, uh, that's when I got in. So pretty young. 21 is minimum age. 36 is max as far as being able to be hired. My um, So one of my best friends from high school in Norman, Oklahoma, he has been a firefighter since I think we, I think there is 21. So he got in when he was 21 and he's been doing it since. So for the last six years, he's a Norman firefighter. Yes. He sends me, I have, an, I have a couple of Norman firefighter t-shirts that I rock every once in a while. I'd have to send, I got to send one out to you then from here. Bring it. I can't. Yeah, it. Absolutely. I love it. Absolutely. Well, Matt, thank you for that. How about, is there, um, is there one or two kind of career, I don't know, bright spots? I mean, it could be, but like, you know, maybe a success story or just something that felt really rewarding to you within the context of that career. I mean, doesn't have to be anything super glitzy and just, you know, something yeah. that, you know, like, well, I'm really glad I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, I think you see that throughout your career, really. And it comes in and shows in, in many different ways. You know, if you want to talk about or um, looking as we were just talking about rank structure or, or the desire to move up, the you know, up in rank, you know, the day I reached the highest, you know, um, uh, merit rank of chief, you know, that that was just a special day when you're up there and I asked my dad to, you know, put the badge on my chest, you know, that was, that was kind of a cool moment between the two of us. And, and, uh, you know, uh, just, just that, Hey, Hey, we did it. Um, I'd say, you know, the other part is just, there's been different moments when you were able to, you know, without getting too deep on the story or anything, but when you were able to, um, 
maybe be the difference of a, you know, a person's life. Uh, that's a pretty powerful moment. Um, you know, so I'd say, you know, different runs and I say runs, meaning incidents, call types, et cetera. Just that moment when you could truly see that you just made a difference or, or uh, there's been times when, um, uh, I don't know, I'm just going to say a year later or six months later, whenever you're out back out in the community and somebody recognize you from the help you gave, you know, that's, that's a, it's a pretty powerful moment. You know, it's a pretty powerful moment because sometimes you don't know what the outcome is. You know what you've done at that moment, but you don't know the true outcome of the situation. And to see that, that, that story that just pulled through was a success story is, uh, is uh, pretty powerful. Keeps you going. All right. Very cool. A local superhero. A local superhero. <laughs> okay. Is there anything else about the challenges that firefighters face? We were talking before we went on a little bit about some of the statistics and that stuff. I don't know if you want to share some of the, those kind of challenges or anything else you want people to know just about kind of first responders and some of the things that they're facing. Yeah, yeah I, I would say that some of the, the challenges um, kind of on the serious end of my, you know, the conversation is uh, while stressors, stress has always been a factor, um, you know, in our lives and police officers, military, et cetera, right? Um, one of the things that we're starting to see a lot of and, and surpassing even say cardiac issues or heart issues um, is suicide um, and also cancer. We did not know some of the dangers of, of the products that we were dealing with. When I say products, the off-gassing of smoke and, and um, you know, when we get into um, our cars, our homes, um, anything that's built anymore is not natural. So those gases that come on are, there's a ton of uh, carcinogenics in there. So we're seeing a number of people die um, uh, at alarming rates in the fire service. Um, I would have to say, you know, just kind of statistically without getting deep into them, I think the last one I was reading that firefighters are 9% more likely to get cancer than the, um, you know, than anybody else, than the, than the general population, general community, and 14% 14 more likely to, to die or pass away. So, um, you know, we're, we're seeing um, uh, definitely a lot of issues here. Uh, around the country. A lot of it comes from different, um, you know, different products that we're involved in, um, how we fight fire, some of the safety measures that we took that's even changing the industry. You know, for example, when I came on and even wait, you know, even before me, of course, um, you know, mark of testness was, you know, your dirty gear, you know, hey, shows you what you've been doing. And, uh, and you know, can you, did you really have to wear that mask or could you tough it out? And we're starting to realize that, you know, that is leading to some of those um, those outcomes. But the nice thing is uh, firefighters are becoming aware of that and they're taking action, you know, not only within the gear and the industries and people are listening and we're helping each other and, and setting up, you know, um, ourselves for success to change that curve. But but yes, that is something that we're dealing with right now. OK, well, cool. All right. Well, Matthew, thank you for that. Anything else? I don't want to cut you off. Anything else we didn't get to that you think is important? No, actually, I just I appreciate this opportunity um, yeah. going through this and being able to share with everybody. So, well, it's super fun to have you on. So, so thank you. All right, Uncle Fat, you can unmute yourself. <laughs> Goofy, <laughs> no, let me go. I am unmuted. You are unmuted. All right, Uncle Pat. So, uh, could you? Tell us about your journey into and through the Iowa National Guard. 
Um, why did you initially initially enlist uh, July 1989? And why did you stick with it for so long? It's frozen. Mm-hmm. I think he's sleeping. Hey, Emma, it, it froze. I'll, uh, Jenna's at the door to come in. I'm going to go let her in. I'll be right back. Okay. Okay. You're good. I can edit it. I'll edit this. Perfect. <laughs> See ya. Come Hi. On. Thanks, Pat. Thanks for coming. I'll be right back to you then. Only Pat, right? <laughs> I better hydrate so I don't cramp. Mm-hmm. <sighs> No, no, how many, what? What'd you say? I was going to say, I need to reach out to you. I'm trying to uh, uh, kind of incorporate yoga and a couple other things into, into moving forward. So kind of set up a little little room in the house and and uh, kind of kind of looking for ideas and thoughts and where to start. So I got you. Are you yeah. offering yoga at, at the different, you know, where the guys stay? Uh, not that actually, yes, we actually through our health and wellness center, we actually have started, uh, we sent two of our trainers to become instructors. Um, one even teaches down at one of the local places called city yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so we've started to implement, uh, you know, we have a peer leadership, you know, team, which is basically firefighters don't trust others usually when we need the help. So we've, we've developed and brought in a peer leadership team, which, you know, firefighters are able to talk to others, not as a a clinician, but able to say, Hey, here's where, you know, it's kind of like the first responder. Here's the professional help you need to go to. So that's really coming through. And yoga was a huge part of that. There is somebody called, uh, it's called first responder yoga is Olivia. Mm -hmm. Somebody she's out of Iowa. So she came. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She came and talked to us and IMPD and is, and um, kind of helped with a few things. So it's, yeah, it's been a big deal. That's awesome. And mindfulness and meditation. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that's part of that too. You know, it's a, it's a hard sell. It, you know, sometimes uh, ego gets in the way of a lot. And, and I would have to say um, kind of that, misunderstanding the mis- uh, the myth behind what it truly is you know oh well, well i don't understand that and then when you really understand is really taking that moment for yourself and clearing yourself and releasing to allow you to perform better you know it's it's i think it's the package and the messaging that that really has to break through so yeah. but well, uh it I, is, I have a bunch of stuff that's already been filmed for our nfl guys so i can just send really? you kind of whatever and then do whatever you want with it Oh, another yeah. thing even thinking about like firefighters and like you know just your lungs and what you guys are exposed to there's a lot of different breath practices that are like for cleansing and detoxifying your lungs right. um so maybe i could film something and kind of preface it about like it's for like cleansing out your lungs and kind of like releasing any other toxins that you might just be like not hanging on to um maybe we could infiltrate the the mindfulness yeah. sphere with that I'll absolutely share it. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I will. So cool. guys, I have we have Pat mind. going on the damn show. Oh yeah. Okay. Are you kidding? Pat, is Jenna, come on. Is Jenna in the room now? Yes. Here's hey, Jenna. Hi. Hi. Hey, Jenna. Jenna. Hey, Jenna. Hey, Jenna. Hey, Jenna. Hey, guys, did I not say the best thing about living in Iowa was yes. the wife? Jenna, all about no, you. no, you didn't say that. 
Look at our family party. Smoking hot, I think he said. And forge out of my will. (laughs) I'll take his spot, Jenna. I'll take his spot, Emma. Thanks, Jenna. (laughs) All right. Let's hear. Are you you doing this one? Um, Pat. Pat. Oh, you did that. Yeah. Okay. So, Pat, you can just kind of roll with this, but um, take us through your journey with the Iowa National Guard. Why did you initially enlist? And then why did you stick with it for so long? Go. Well, I uh, I initially enlisted. I was uh, fortunate. I was uh, having school mostly paid for through wrestling. Uh, my older brother, oldest brother joined, the next brother joined, and even my youngest brother had joined. I had not. Um, I was uh, a misguided young man. I was living life 200 miles an hour, and my dad uh, told me I could not come home. He said, you're not welcome to come home to the farm for the summer. Um, you're out of control. You either join the uh, National Guard or find somewhere else to live. Um, so he went from fighting with my oldest brother not to join, to start, go to college, do this, to telling me to join because I needed to grow up. So uh, that's kind of how I got in. And uh, then when I got in, I just flourished because uh, they wanted loud. They wanted uh, somebody that could go for days without sleep, um, could be very voiceless, very uh, driven. And they just kept rewarding me for doing everything that public education told me not to do. <laughs> Sit down, be quiet, do your work, uh, be inconspicuous. There they were like, man, you are loud. You get after it. You can go for days without sleep and then rest a little bit and do it again. They just kept promoting me. Give me more money. There you go. Just for being you. Yeah, That's absolutely. Okay. So it- uh, then, uh, of course, I enlisted, and uh, I had uh, college. I had a very high test score. Uh, they invited me to officer candidate school. I went to officer candidate school. Again, I scored well. I got selected into the Army Corps of Engineers, which required a high line score. I soon found myself in school with people from uh, West Point and Annapolis and uh, some of your high-end schools. And uh, they always found it very interesting. At that time, I was a third grade teacher. So you're, you're, you're dealing with all these airborne rangers and people from these high-end schools. And they're like, are you really a third grade teacher? <laughs> I'm like, I'm the <laughs> toughest damn third grade teacher in this room. Of course, I was the only third grade teacher in the room. But, you know, but I could hang. Yeah, you can. Okay, and so then what, what year did you and Jenna get married? Uh, Jen and I got married in 1988. Ooh, so right before. Oh, yeah, right before. And uh, dated off and on, mostly on, some off for about five years before that. And, uh, you know, she was sowing her wild oats, so to speak. Oh, totally, totally. You just got to get that worked out of your system sometimes. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah. All right, so you Pat, found, found and, bliss. And can we just can we just tell the proposal story just just for oh yeah. Uh I'm up in Jenna's dorm room at the University of Iowa, and we're kind of talking. And my friends would always tease me because if she called, I'd drop everything I was doing to go run into wherever she was or whatever was going on. She was between usually between guys when she'd call me. And uh <laughs> for sure they're lonely for the weekend. Hey, dude, I told you early on she's hot. <laughs> anyway, um, I go down to her dorm room. We're kind of laying there and we're talking. And uh, she goes, 
hey, why don't we just get married? And I'm like, huh? What? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she asked me. And, of course, I accepted. She pulled a ring out of her pocket, slid it on my finger. And, uh, I did not. And, uh, well, that's kind of how that happened. He keeps looking over his shoulders because he's going to get hit in the head with a shoe. Well, I'm telling the truth, though. Sometimes the truth hurts, and she knows it. Oh, here she goes. <laughs> but this, <laughs> I'm listening in. But then dad called, oh, I called mom and dad and said, hey, Pat's going to come out and visit you <laughs> because I'm going to do it a traditional way and ask him, you know, ask if we can get married and all that stuff, even though I had proposed. And uh, dad said, what is he going to come out and borrow money? Kind of. Kind of goes with it. Oh, that was good. That was good. Oh, yeah. All right. Thank you for that, Cohen's. Um, <laughs> okay. But again, she is hot. She's hot. She's so hot. So hot. She's so hot, Matt's going to send his fireman over here. <laughs> I see some You're on real. The Greyhound's melting there in the There's background. There's some smoke yeah. back there, Pat. You better put a mask on. Okay, Pat. Right. All right. Let, take us through... Um, Let's see, I think 91, you were in Germany for Operation Iraqi Freedom. A lot was going on with that. And then in uh, 2000, you had the Afghanistan tour. So just, just uh, you know, whatever, you know, tell us a little bit about that experience and kind of lessons learned and how it impacted maybe you and the family on your time away. Yeah, it, uh, it impacted the family terribly. Uh, the kids were impressionable teenagers at the time. Uh, my youngest daughter, Lou, uh, would have been a third grader. And Joseph was a little preschooler. Um, it, I was uh, selected to be a uh, embedded advisor to the Afghan infantry. Um, they brought in roughly 30 people, um, uh, just uh, physically ran the, the uh, ran you to death, um, narrowed it down to about 10. And then they shipped that 10 to, uh, to uh, Mississippi. And again, uh, you know, half marathons with rucksacks, uh, climbing 10-foot walls, um, running through obstacle courses and getting timed. Um, and I remember distinctly, I had a 22-pound plate in the front and the back, a helmet, my weapons, all my stuff. And I climbed over the 10-foot wall, and the young sergeant that was standing at the wall at the time, I was a, a new lieutenant colonel, and he yelled, hey, sir, come back here. Can you do that again? I said, sure. So I climbed over that wall again. And uh, he looked down, he wrote on his piece of paper. He said, hey, sir, you're the first over 40s guy to climb the wall with all your stuff on. So uh, just that ability to be extremely physical and uh, mentally tough, uh, you know, and then I uh, got in country and uh, right away, a gentleman had gotten himself in trouble and he was on his way to Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. And they called me and said, you're going out and taking his, his slot. And I was very candid with the gentleman. I said, I've never been trained to do that type of stuff. And he opens up a, a folder, um, Marine Corps one star, and, he, and he's going through it. And he said, well, says right here, you can climb the 10 foot wall. You're not afraid to tell people to, to go to hell. And you're a middle school principal. What more could we ask? Uh, best job interview I was ever on in my life. <laughs> <laughs> So that's how I landed the job as the uh, team chief of uh, Embedded Advisory Viper. 
And uh, we were on the Pakistan border in uh, Kunar and up in the Nuristan. And we conducted uh, interdiction missions against the uh, Taliban and Al-Qaeda. And we had 611 Afghan infantry. And uh, the eight Americans were the, uh, were the people that uh, trained them, fought with them. And then we could call in uh, the artillery, the aircraft, you know, that type of stuff. So uh, it was a difficult time. And you look back on it, but it was also a great time uh, in life. Of course, I made it home uh, uh, with all my body parts and, uh, you know, not being wounded. Um, it was uh, a time when you, uh, that you did the best that you could. Uh, with what happened to you that day and uh, just uh, best of friends, people that call me still. I had a guy that called me every Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas Eve, 2005. Uh, they're trying to kill us. They're uh, dropping, uh, I think it was 130 millimeter rockets at us and uh, shooting at us with heavy machine guns, discas and, and uh, PKMs. And, and uh, the next morning we got up and it's Christmas day. You know, and that was the only time I really got worried because you don't want your family to be notified that you got killed on Christmas. You know what I'm saying? So uh, we we made it through that. And the next day, uh, they call up and they said, uh, hey, there's an aircraft, sir, wants to land. And I said, well, who the hell is it? They said, we don't know. Okay, so we pop smoke, aircraft uh, landed, rotary wing, and out jumps a command sergeant major. I don't know him from nothing. And he's holding a warm apple pie. And he hands it to me and he reaches in his pocket and he sticks eight forks into the pie and he puts his finger in my face and he says, you're doing God's work. Keep it up. Jumps on the aircraft, flies away. <laughs> my team and I stood there, you know, in a mud hut and ate apple pie out of, <laughs> out of a tin with forks. And the crazy thing is it was still warm. I, I'm like, how in the hell did he get a warm pie? From Kabul or wherever, all the way out there to the border, he must have had it setting, you know, uh, a warmer on the aircraft or something. But uh, just the the strangeness of it all, you know. But some uh, some great things, uh, you know. And it's a time in my life I'll always look back on and, and uh, feel fortunate to have made it through it in one piece, and feel fortunate in that I was able to. Uh, work with such great, dedicated individuals to, uh, to accomplish what we were doing. Um, coming home was tough. Um, uh, the hot wife that you just saw in the video, uh, her heart's golden. Um, I struggled uh, coming home. Shit, I had eight wrecks the first year I got home um, because over there they were trying to blow you up with, uh, with stuff. Um, and I was literally hitting people with my personal vehicle. And, uh, Small town in Iowa, every police officer knew what I, where I'd been and what I'd done, and they just kept going, no, it's okay, Mr. Cohen. It could have happened to anybody. Yeah, anybody could have rammed a car with their, with their pickup truck. <laughs> you know, and then uh, I remember uh, we were going somewhere, and, and Meyer was just driving, but all of a sudden I'm like, Meyer, don't get boxed in. Drive through the parking lot of the gas station. I'm not saying it very nicely to her. You know what I mean? It's like, Pat, you don't have to, Jenna's like, Pat, you don't have to worry about getting boxed in. Um, you talked earlier, Emma, about 10 women and the, the Craiger women and their strength. Um, we were taught, uh, you don't look at women, you don't acknowledge women. They all had burkas on. They would run to the corner of a room and put their face in the corner of the wall and squat down. Um, 
50% of their intellectual potential was being thrown away. And it was very difficult for me having been raised by uh, my, my mother, who I said earlier told me she would rip my arm off and beat me to death with it. Uh, my mom was the God of the house, you know, and you didn't cross her. Um, I married Jenna, um, her family, all women, strong women, educated women, professional women. And it was very difficult for me to see how, how the, uh, the women were treated with the, uh, with the burkas and the, uh, and the fearfulness and the, uh, and the beatings and the, you know, those type of things. Um, so there, there's a lot there and I, I could keep talking, uh, but I really won't um, because I know you only have so much time, but, uh, it was good to, to come home, um, flew into uh, Fort uh, Stewart, Georgia, and uh, spent time down there. Jenna came down, um, you know, and then we came home, and of all things, the vice president of the United States is going to be there. So they uh, literally say, here's your family that you haven't seen in a year. Uh, you got five minutes with them, and then you need to go into this holding area with the Secret Service, and then they're going to brief you. So you're, then you have to stand on a stage with the vice president in front of you, and he's, you know, politicizing, and you're standing there on the other side of the fence is your damn family. You know, it was just, uh, it was a, a very apropos way to end a very apropos um, uh, deployment, you know, where you just never knew what crazy thing was going to happen next, and you just had to do the best you could uh, at that time with the information and the abilities that you had. And that was finally ended after uh, the vice president got done talking and I was able to spend time with my family and get my shit and go back home. I remember being very little and being there. Yeah. Yep. Very little. Just like hanging on to hanging on everybody's legs. Yeah. Yeah, But uh, it really gave you a clear perspective on, on uh, what's important. You know, we came home and uh, America uh, pets were dying from poisoned dog food from uh, China and everybody's going uh, batshit crazy over that. And I remember trying to get my mind around, but wait, there's people dying, but wait, there's children dying. You know, and in the United States, we're all worried about our, our dog food and our puppies. You know, and it, it took a little while to get that, uh, you know, the really loud rap music, you know, the boom, boom bass. Uh, it made your body shake like uh, close explosions. You know, that was hard. Uh, fireworks were hard. Um, you know, and just, uh, you know, looking down an alley, uh, a middle schooler ran away and I'm going to get him. So I turned to go down the alley, ran down and I'm thinking, shit, I don't know if this alley's secure. You know what I mean? And you got to remind yourself, I don't have to worry about this alley being secure. You know what I mean? That type of stuff, waking up and not knowing where your where your weapon's at. You know what I mean? Filling for it real fast and thinking, wait, I don't have to fill for my weapon. You know, I'm back in Iowa. You know, uh, those type of things. But again, I was blessed with your Aunt Jenna. She stuck with me, helped me get through a bunch of shit and then uh, get calmed down and and uh, got back to my life. Um, I will say this. Uh, this weekend, I was a keynote speaker at a 52nd reunion for a Vietnam uh, infantry battalion. And uh, a good friend of mine, Phil Ross's brother was killed in Vietnam and it was at their farm. And this is the last reunion they're having because they're dying in droves from Agent Orange, much like Matt was talking about. 
And uh, I was able to talk to them and explain just that generational transference of experiences and knowledge. I had received that from a World War II veteran before I left in uh, 1990. And then I'd received it from a Vietnam veteran before I left in 05. And uh, just spending time with them and uh, them understanding that I understood them and they understood me. And I was just there with, uh, with people that had a common bond. <clears throat> but uh, again, like Matt said, um, if you need help, get it. You know, uh, those type of things, stay away from the drugs, stay away from the alcohol and, uh, and seek out people to talk to because, uh, we can't pass on generational wealth and generational knowledge if we're not here. So even if you feel like you don't have a purpose, you just haven't found your purpose yet, or your purpose hasn't found you because it is there and people do need you. Well, and Pat, just, we're talking generational. We also don't want to pass on generational trauma. You know exactly. what I mean? So it, it's good that, you know, work and it's a process and it's not easy. I don't mean to simplify anything, but to, do that help just so that, you know, you're passing on the things you do want to pass on and not those other things. You can share the stories and do all that, but hopefully in a life-giving, healthy kind of way that, you know, is producing outcomes you want to get to. So, all right. Well, Pat, I, I just want to say, I really appreciate you sharing that. I know it's been a difficult time and I know it continues to um, be a part of your life with some of, um, you know, the soldiers that you fought with and have come back and those kind of things. So, uh, we appreciate you telling that story. I do have to ask you, I was reading through the list of all your awards and I, you know, I'm not very military, so I don't know all those guys. So I listed the Meritorious Service Medal, Bronze Star Medal, Afghanistan Campaign Medal. And then it says you're inducted to the U.S. Cavalry Brotherhood of Combat Spurs. And so I'm really yeah. curious about what a combat spur is because I'm not sure. It's, uh, it's golden spurs uh, and you, you get golden spurs and uh, it's for valor and combat. Um, this particular uh, story is, uh, and I told this to the Vietnam vets and they absolutely loved it. Um, we were, I'd been in, uh, I'd been uh, sent on a lot of missions and I had done my share. And there were people in uh, back in the rear in Kabul who hadn't, uh, they ate hot food every night, took a shower every night, worked out in the gym and uh, were just as qualified as I was in my sight. And I thought I'd carried my load. And they called me and they said, you're going into this opium valley and it's 100% guaranteed that tick, troops in combat. So I'm like, you're guaranteeing me they're going to try to kill me. And the guy said, yeah, maybe every day. And uh, so I get pissed off and I'm like, look, I'm a, like a month and a half from going home and I'm pointing at people in the room. And I'm saying, I know that guy hasn't done anything. That guy hasn't done anything. So the, uh, the, they clear the room out and it's just me and the commander. And he looks at me, he says, Cohen, you're, you're the man for the job, whether you like it or not. So shut your ass up and, and, uh, not, you know, stop what you were doing. There were some, uh, adjectives thrown in there, obviously. And then, uh, we got the battle brief and I had to go back and tell my team, Hey, we're going back in and here's where we're going and here's what we're facing. And, uh, they asked me to pray over them, which I did. And then uh, Master Sergeant Longfield said, now, sir, are you done praying? I said, yep. He said, now, here's your best job, your best shot at staying alive and not getting your limbs blown off. Do your fucking job and do it well. And do it to the, the best of your ability. Every, every inch of your job. 
and he tells me those things. So anyway, we go out there and it is a, it is a shit show. They're laying it to us. Um, we're buying uh, wheelbarrow fulls of plastic mines from China. I mean, we're not getting out of there unless we're airlifted out. There's just so much stuff. And uh, income in flies. And I was trying to quit chewing as well. Um, and that was a bad time to try to quit chewing. Uh, a helicopter comes in and they kick a bag off and whoop, 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 fly away. And uh, Sergeant Major Rodriguez comes over and he hands me a, a paper sack. I look in it and there's like 10 packs of Red Man. Like, Damn it, Rodriguez, you know I'm trying to quit. And he goes, sir, the men would like you to quit later. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the Spurs story, because now I'm, I'm talking in circles. The Spurs story, um, we're out there and we're in that valley and it's on. And uh, I have a guy, with, he's called a LERP, a long range recon, uh, airborne ranger type guy that jumps out at high altitudes and floats down. And then he calls in, uh, you know, information for people that are coming in. <clears throat> and he had an Afghani uh, uh, platoon of, uh, he was training to do recon. Well, he had on spurs. A helicopter comes in and out gets a full colonel from, uh, I believe, 10th Mountain. And he doesn't have a speck of dirt on him. And he smells like potpourri. The rest of us have been out there for like 40 days. We smell like goats. We, uh, we, our clothes are rotting off of us. And this son of a bitch shows up smelling like potpourri, you know, and, uh, he gets out and he looks over at this lerp and he has on his spurs and he goes, Colonel, that man's out of uniform. And I said, yes, sir. He, he is. And he goes, well, aren't you going to make him take those spurs off? And I said, sir, if he takes those spurs off, I'm going to shove them up your ass sideways. And, uh, Generally, a lieutenant colonel doesn't talk like that to a full colonel. No. And uh, Rodriguez grabbed me, and whoever this guy, Sergeant Major, was, grabbed him. And Rodriguez walked me off, and he walked uh, his Sergeant Major off. And uh, about a minute later, the, the guy comes back over to me, and he goes, Hey, uh, sorry, we got off on the wrong foot. Um, do you have plenty of ammunition? Do your soldiers have clean water? Do you have the medical support you need? And he started asking me the questions he should have been asking me in the first place, not talking to me about some guy having spurs on. So, yeah, I was inducted into the United States Cavalry Hall of Fame and uh, issued uh, combat spurs. Um, and I was in combat, and it was, we were uh, exchanging rounds with people, but it had more to do with me telling somebody I was going to stick them up their ass than it had with me uh, leading a charge up a hill. So uh, that's the story. That's yeah. a good story. That's man. a good story, Pat. <laughs> oh, yeah. So they tell me I would get uh, preferential treatment at any base that's a cavalry base. You know, I haven't tried it yet. <laughs> Show up. Hey, you're that guy that told 10th Mountain you're going to stick spurs up their ass. That's right. That's me. That's so. me. <laughs> So yeah, I do have I do have combat spurs. I have the uh, the formal thing. I had to sit down. They took the sword out. They knighted me. I had to drink out of the grog bowl. Um, there was a lot of history there. That's so pretty cool. Nice. All right. Well, Pat, uh, appreciate it. we could. This probably should be a two parter with your stories. So we'll we might have to come back. Hey, again, I just want to say I'm welcome to come back because there's more. 
I know it. Well, we might. You, you'll probably be a fan favorite. We'll probably get a lot of requests. Get, well, uh, this this will put it over the the deal. Um, George kept calling me Uncle Fat, and uh, years ago, no, no, George. In all fairness, all my nephews and nieces call me Uncle Fat, uh, but we need to let the listeners know it's P H A T Fat. Bradley Carlson, your nephew, your cousin that held the Big Ten Big Ten uh, home run record. He said, fat is cool, P-H-A-T, fat. And from that day on, I've been Uncle Fat. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of Uncle Fat stories about uh, wisdom, some of the stuff that you're looking for on the uh, on your uh, podcast here. But I think I've probably used up enough of my time. I'll have to come back later and yes. give Uncle Fat wisdom. Uncle Fat. We'll have a moment with Uncle Fat. Okay. Uh, so we better we better jump to the fashion preview. Oh yeah. Uh, well, can I just go? Yes. Yeah, no. Why don't you? Okay. Back to the Uncle Fat part. Jenna and I bought land down by Oakville, Iowa, on the Iowa Slough, and the reason we did that is we want to make it um, like a, the the cabin originally. They were like, "Hey, Uncle Fat's cabin, Lucky Lugene, It's going to be Lucky Lodge." Oh. designated the lodge is going to be lucky lodge but then we're going to have uncle fat's beer shed and, uh, <laughs> it's going to be uh it's going to be a destination uh the land was decimated by a flood uh, we've brought oak uh, seeds from all over iowa and the midwest we've replanted we have oak trees growing back we're uh building nature back and it's going to be a place where uh the Craigers and all their descendants can come. Eventually, I'd like to be able to hold Camp Crager there, you know, have uh, RV hookups. I only have four of them now. A nice cabin, a, you know, bathrooms, uh, air conditioning, and of course, the beer shed. The beer shed. And I can't go into detail because I don't want anybody to jump me on this idea because it's going to be big. Okay. <laughs> could, you, could you tell us a little bit about how you're decorating the outside? Like what you're doing. I can. I have I have been collecting beer cans from across the world now for probably five years, and we're flatting them. We're making them flat, cutting out the top and the bottom, so we can bring them through the airports and everything. And we're going to do a Cape Cod shingle on the whole outside with beer cans, and uh, a lot of them are signed. Uh, you know, beer cans from the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, beer cans from all over the world. People sign them, and so it's going to be that. Now, um, for listeners that are artsy people, um, Luke Underwood is Barb Crager's son. He does very high-end mosaics. He's going to do a mosaic with beer of your Aunt Jenna, the hot ever from Iowa. And uh, she uh, she's, isn't up to having herself more immortalized with beer cans. <laughs> So I'm going to have him make Jenna and then just claim it's Barb. Oh, cool. I, I think it'll work. It Wait, is this like, like how big, how big is this piece of art going to be like life size? Well, I wanted it to be, a, if you were deer hunting down there and we're like at 150 yards away, I want you to be able to look over and go, damn, that's Jenna Crager. <laughs> it's woman. nice. Lucky is it 150 woman. away? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay. Wow. I can't hold a candle to these stories. <laughs> well, don't feel bad, Matt. Nobody can. Yeah. Well, okay. Matthew, uh, George, well, I'll the fashion preview. So anyway, the reason I did that, I was going to wear a flannel to designate rekindling nature and building up this forest and this lake. Oh, love that. Um, Matt, you got any fashion for us? I wish I did. I actually had a couple of things, but didn't quite get the approval here. But, uh, you know, if you're talking about on on, on sports, uh, sports Sunday, I call it, you know, we watch another days. Actually, I have a Kittle jersey coming, so that'll be uh, part of my repertoire. But uh, other than that, that's the only one I'd wear. Love that, and maybe a Buckner jersey. Absolutely, absolutely. You have our you have our blessing to wear a Buckner jersey. Okay, all right. Well, yep, Kittle first. You always get the throwback Dallas Clark jersey too. That always works. There, there it is. Yeah, that's my guys. Or Bob Sanders. Can't go wrong either way. Is it Sanders? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. All right. My fashion preview. Um, let's see. I'm going to talk about sneakers. That's what I'm here for. But these are sneakers. Uh, you know, it's Halloween. Uh, I like the orange, green, kind of pumpkin-y. Uh, nice bottoms. I just got these. Big fan of them. I'm a big fan of the dunk clothes right now. I'm a big sneaker head, Matt. I don't know if you knew that. I love sneakers, especially Nikes. Tyler, uh, too. You have to let him know. My, my shoe closet is growing substantially. Um, I'm going to take credit of having the best sneaker collection on the team. Um, granted, I don't collect like all the really nice. fancy shoes. But when it comes to Nikes, I dominate that in my opinion. But as my fashion segment, oh, one more thing. I'm wearing a new t-shirt. It's called Ginger Roots. It's a band that one of my good friends and former teammates, Eric Magnuson, is the manager of. Oh, I mean, you like them, don't you? Deanie's here because I'm eating a sandwich right now. But... We're in their shirt, giving a little, uh, you know, a little support to them because they came out with some new music. I'm a big supporter of that, so you know. I will, I will vouch for this. Like, I follow great music. Oh, Jan follows them too. Yeah, yeah, very impressed. It's a, it's reggae music, and my he's a he's a six foot, six foot five off lineman. He's like he was 330 pounds when he played for the Raiders, so he's he's a he's a big dude, and now he's a manager of a reggae band in San Diego. (laughs) I'll look him up. Awesome. Uh, Absolutely. That's my fashion segment. Um, but yeah, also, Matt, none of us have any stories to compare to Pat because he tells me so well. That's what he well, does. He can I tell do. you an interesting story about him going to the mailbox and it'd still be better than anything else. <laughs> I'll say my best ones, Pat, were with you. Uh, I'll just say uh, the fishing trip at night when we had the family reunion out on the island. <laughs> I don't know if we can get into that one. And, uh, one thing you yeah, never unmute do. yourself. Oh, Pat. One of the, right. one that, uh, that was an adventure. And the other one was, uh, which we, you probably still uh, catch some for it, is, uh, what was it, uh, church service right before Christmas. Pat and I decided oh. to go uh, go get a workout in uh, right before we had church over at uh, We missed Lugene service. We missed, we missed church service. Hey, uh, sometime, George, let me tell the story about Matt and Rick and Gunport, Illinois. I was, that's what I was waiting to hear back on. And, oh, that, yeah. and, that, and that was the third one. I don't know if I could talk about that one. but uh, yeah. Oh, man. Those three, I think, have to – Pat tells wow. me the best, but uh, I get the winner. Uh, might have to do a part two. I'm a fan so. of all of them. We'll have, okay. uh, we'll, have the van, we'll let the fans vote on which story they want Pat to tell. There you go. Pat has to tell that and we'll release it. 
Oh, Ooh, hey, okay. And then, hey, George, so throw in Uncle Fat getting kicked off the bus. <laughs> and you can throw in Uncle Fat always be smarter than a chicken. <laughs> Which over the years has been a little challenging. Right there. Are you smarter than a chicken? Smarter than a chicken. It's a great story, and you'll yeah. get it because it has to do with working out. Yes, it's <laughs> I am smarter than a chicken. I got three degrees, and the chicken's zero. <laughs> it doesn't prove anything. doesn't prove a thing. No, it doesn't. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, we're going to skip football. All we know is that the Niners are two and three. Uh, coming in off their bye week, playing the Colts, who are two and four, beat the Texans last week, thirty-one to three. So is what it is. And uh, Matt's from Indianapolis, so we're thinking he's kind of a Colts fan, and we're big DeForest Buckner fans, but uh, hoping D Buck doesn't have that big a day. And we're looking for the Niners to get back on track and get rolling. So that'll be good. Matt, you want to say anything about the Colts? No, yeah, I'll tell you what. Uh, big Colts fan, you know, want to see him. Uh, See them win, and and uh, but I've I've always said, uh, you know, from around fans that always ask when they know George plays out there, and uh, Sam Fran, I said I'll take Colts win any day, but if I could see them win the Super Bowl or George, it's George all day long. So hey, there is, there is hey. no question. Is that loyalty? All right, so pretty cool. All right, then I just want to wrap up. So um, you guys both talked about in your professional lives about passion, community service, giving back, all those kind of things. Um, and so just, you know, kind of growing up, we can talk a little bit. I don't want to do too much, but is there an organization? Because part of this is that we do do a donation. And so is there an organization that you're particularly fond of um, that you've engaged with that, you know, kind of trips your trigger and a way to get back and that kind of stuff? So if there's something out there that you guys are participating in, tell us a little bit about the role of community service, giving back in your life and uh, maybe an organization that you're you're particularly fond of. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready on that one. Uh, we have uh, before and after school programs. There, every public school has a degree of uh, humanitarian mission. Some public schools, humanitarian mission is large. Uh, the, where I work right now, uh, high poverty, you know, uh, many, many homeless children with nowhere, they don't know where they're going home at night, uh, those type of things. It is a great mission and I'm after it. Um, so any donations for us would be for the before and after school program. And then with uh, Club M, where we match high school kids up with uh, younger children as mentors and help them understand the importance of, uh, of being on time, being respectful and doing their work and how those things and dedication will lift them up and out of the, the poverty and the chaos that sometimes plague them uh, throughout their, their uh, experience in our school system. Okay. So Pat and or Jenna, when you guys, uh, you'll send us all the links for that kind of stuff. We'll have that all in the show notes. And if anybody wants to do a little something in Burlington, Iowa, the, it is a high need area. And uh, we're really proud to make a donation to the after school program. And so we'll be glad to help on that. So Patrick, thank you. And then Matt, what do you got going? I'd say a lot of, uh, probably the community service I do really runs through the fire department. You know, when you look at um, one thing like my bureau's community risk reduction, right? So you're looking at the prevention side of, you know, fires, incidents, mitigation. So we have a non-for-profit in our uh, department called uh, Survival Life, and that's bringing in uh, kids from around the community to multiple ages, you know, that will go through different training, learning exit um, um, uh, exit uh, drills in the home, and learn about, you know, um, how to call 911, their address, et cetera. And it's all taught at different age levels, and it builds upon itself. 
you know, that's uh, internal. So the other thing is St. Florian Center is a firefighter. When I came on, um, um, uh, Chief Williamson and started St. Florian Center. And he looked at these, some of the communities um, underserved children. And what they've done is gave them a voice, to, taught them about, you know, about character, pride, honor, respect within yourself. Uh, again, they teach through the levels of age all the way through, um, you know, young kids and given, um, you know, mentorship, you know, uh, big brother, big sister type, you know, interactions, summer camps, um, you know, um, uh, dealing with the, the resource needs all the way to when they become, you know, young adults or teenagers setting up for mock interviews and, and coming into, you know, fire headquarters and asking others to, you know, hey, can you interview this? Interview? They have to come dressed. They have to be, you know, proper. So uh, I think that's been going on since I think 1992 and he's still going strong. And it's, um, um, you know, many, many years when it was, you know, him and a few others just pulling that along and it's just been a huge success. Um, so I'd say those are the two, you know, first two that I look at uh, right now that I think are, are special to me and special to us here. That's great. So same thing, Matt, if you'll send us those links, we'll keep them in the show. And then uh, hey, we can Bruce, put that. Yeah, Pat. Sorry. Hey, November 9th, uh, the art center, November 19th, the art center of Burlington is having a fundraiser. I uncle fat am the, one of the celebrity artists, Ooh. I developed quite a package part from your wife jan and her photo of your her father's hands holding that dirt so if anybody's wanting to purchase the artwork that i create and the total package that i'm putting together i'll send you that information as well that's for a great cause it's for the burlington art center okay 19th of what month of november november okay eleanor one of the uh, Emma's cousins is going to be yes. helping me. So I've got a team. So here's a chance to buy some great artwork and a couple bottles of whiskey. <laughs> Woo! Oh, good. All right. All right, guys. Well, as we start to wrap up, um, something that we always like to close with is where is the hope? So, uh, Matt, let's start with you. Uh, what's one or two things that give you hope and anything else you would like people to know as we start to close up? Oh, what gives me hope? I would say that uh, you know, your, your perspective is your reality. And the cool thing about it is it's your choice. So no matter where you are, what's going on, you know, that always gives me hope that I have that choice. I do have a choice. Might not be the outcome I want, we want, others want, but uh, that's where the hope comes from. Whew, that fits that's right awesome. in, man. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Woo. Choose your reality. That's it. Right. It's your choice. Uncle Fat, something gives well, you hope. Uh, uh, yep. Uh, thanks for asking, Emma. That is a great question. And without doubt, and with no hesitation, every day I work with the youth of America, and they give me unlimited hope. Every day they're showing me just how awesome they are and how great uh, uh, we have uh, hands to put in. An example, you see that right there, Emma? Mm-hmm. A little boy was doing show and tell. I walked in and he had been to Florida and he had his shells and he goes, my grandma helped me find these. And I said, you know what? I have a daughter that lives in Florida. And he goes, you do? And I said, yeah, my daughter Lou. He reached into his little bucket and he handed me that. And he said, Mr. Cohen, keep that on your desk. It'll remind you of your little girl. Oh, wow. wow. The kid's six. For God's wow. sake, he's six. But wow. he knows how to touch somebody's heart, how to care about other people. 
how to nurture and those type of things. So I get hope every day. <laughs> my little students. <laughs> Woo, Georgie, what do you got? Uh, well, first off, Pat, I thought you were going to say what gives you hope is your hot wife, Jenna. Now you're going to say that. I thought that's where he's going. I'll see. Let's say my hot wife Claire gives me hope. But on top of that, um, just talk a little. <laughs> yeah, Kiki. Talk a little football. This is a very important week because it is the number one holiday in the entire nation, specifically the world. Uh, it's National Tight End Day this Sunday. Let me see the shirt, Bruce. It's National Tight End Day. Titans all over the league are going to be scoring touchdowns, securing those wins for your fantasy football team. Show some support. Wear your tight ends. Don't care who it is. Be your starter, your second string, your third string. Support all those tight ends. You can throw a fullback in there once or twice. You know, I gave Juice the approval of this game. But, you know, just support the tight ends. Have some fun. Drink a couple beers, Bud Light specifically. Um, and uh, <laughs> watch some good football. So that, Colts, Ross Wally's mic'd up. It's going to be a good one. Nice. All right, Ross. Cool. Hey, George, one of my students, her name is Lacey Miller, is yeah. uh, the HR director for Budweiser in St. Louis. No way. That's oh, yeah. Awesome. From uh, little old Wayland, Iowa. Woo! <laughs> I love that. Wow. You know, when you uh, Christmas, kids give you uh, presents, coffee cups, and ties. Her dad and grandpa were the president of the Iowa Beef mm. in the box of steaks. I almost started crying. It's <laughs> good stuff, man. Nobody wants a damn coffee cup. Give your teacher steaks. Damn right. <laughs> All right. What do you got? Uh, as far as hope, oh, you know, just guys. Um, I think people that are super passionate about their job and want to give of themselves to others and to make the world a better place and are willing to take risks in order to do that. And also in the face of all that are willing to stand up and be leaders with their peers and colleagues, um, which is not always easy and you take fire for it and it's not perfect and all that kind of stuff. So I have a lot of admiration for you guys. I'm really grateful uh, for both of you in our lives and for you guys taking time to share your stories today. Um, and honestly, that gives me a lot of hope because, you know, as, as kind of twisted as some of the things feel, you know, I, I still believe deeply that we are much more alike than we are different. Um, and that we are one common family, one common humanity. And the more that we can recognize that, it really, what everybody wants to do is go home and have a safe place to sleep, have enough food on the table and be able to take care of their kids uh, and their family. And so I think as long as we're all working toward trying to make that a reality for everybody, uh, I have a lot of hope. And I'm glad to know that all of you are out there. Uh, trying to make a difference in your way as well. So thank you. Good. All right. So I want to go. Oh, well, so you just kind of nod and you're <laughs> like, tell me to get us out of here. All right, go. Okay. Um, well, I just turned 31, so I'm like super wise and mature now. Um, and with that wisdom, I've started to see how, um, you know, as we get older, you kind of get to choose your family and maybe it's by the friends and the people you associate with and through work and stuff. And I feel very lucky that I would always choose my family and choose all the people and choose, especially this group right here and just how kind of different our stories are. And, but I feel like we just are so steadfast in our love and acceptance and the kindness um, that we were all raised in. And I think we got really, really lucky. Um, so anytime that we get to spread that message um, and for these Kroger women, 
We got some Ooh. we got some strong blood in us. So yeah, Jenna. <laughs> so if any of you out there need a little bit more hope, Jenna's in Burlington, Iowa. She so. is a smoke. And she'll she'll be and at here's the... her here's her older sister. Jenna, get in. <laughs> get in. Yeah. Claire Bear. Oh, where's Rain? Oh, Rain is not at the fire station. No. Oh well. Yeah. All right. Well, Ben Pearls Podcast, week seven, 2021. We got Niners. Mom, get in it. Oh, get okay. in, Jenna, get in. All right, no. You're Jenna, in, Jenna. In. We're taking a family selfie. Okay, family selfie. There we go. Oh, good job, Deaner. Good job, fam. All right. So we're signing off, guys. Thank you so much. All Be right. safe and everything See you do. We will we will talk soon. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Hey guys, we'll sign out. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for sticking around for that episode. Definitely one of our favorites. Love being able to bring a little bit of Krager energy, um, strong family ties. And so thank you guys for sticking around and watching that. Um, If you want to support or get involved with any of the organizations that we talked about, I will have those listed in the show notes. And that is always appreciated. If you guys end up doing anything, tag us, let us know. Um, This community means so much to us. And so we just want to say a big thank you. If you would like to get involved with our community a little bit more, um, we are on Instagram as Hidden Pearls Podcast, Facebook, Hidden Pearls Podcast, and TikTok is Hidden Pearl Podcast and then on Twitter as Hidden Pearls Pod um, you can tap into anything with George um, if you want to participate in an Ask George question you can do that by sending info at Thunderbird Performance and email an email with hashtag Ask George in the subject line and then as always National Tight End Day and if you want to um, if you have it in your hearts and your time and your schedule and you can leave us a reply on or a review on um, Apple Podcasts or any of the other podcasts podcasting platforms that means the world to us because it helps us to extend our brand and our message so with that just want to say thank you guys so much and we will see you next time go niners that was recorded